0: Born hell. <laughs> <laughs> you got to admit, that's a blessing, man. i tell you what, uh, children are a blessing. They're a heritage of the Lord. And a privi- it's a privilege to be able to help them and get them on the right track and head them down the road. Uh, that's what servants do. I think it's just a blessing, man. I was going to let everybody know this morning we had a bunch of people join the church. I usually don't ask about joining the church. And, and uh, we had a ton of people. But Mrs. Williams, Cindy Williams, came up and joined the church. She's here tonight. Well, I asked her, you know, we had everybody give a testimony. And I just want you all to know, because I don't want you to think we just let people join the church just to join the church. So I asked her after church and Beth had talked to her, and I asked her if she was saved. And she was. She knew exactly she was saved. She's Catholic background like I have a Catholic background. And, And she looked at me. She says, but, Mike, I got a question for you. And I said, "Okay, what's the question? She goes, well, when I was in the Catholic church, they baptized me when I was a baby. And that just don't seem to count to me. I said, you're right. It don't count. And we went through some stuff. So Sunday morning, she asked me if I'd baptize her uh, here Sunday morning. So I just wanted you all to know that uh, people can't, we just don't let them join the church because they come up here to join the church. Uh, I think to join the church, you need to be a saved person. You need to know you're saved. Baptism is another thing. I mean, that has really nothing to do with it as far as I'm concerned. You need to be saved. Uh, If you want to get baptized, I'll baptize you. I'll, I'll hold you down as long as you want. If your wife is here, your husband's here, and they want me to hold you down longer for a certain amount of money, we can hold them down as long as you want. Uh, but, and and we get them off to a good start. Uh, but it's, it's one of those things where, uh, when she was up here, she was kind of confused on it because, uh, she was pinched. She said, I felt like I was under pressure. I'm like, well, that's, that's what new Christians do. And, uh, and it's just a baby is all it is. So she, she's going to get baptized next Sunday morning and, and, uh, we'll go from there. And, and, uh, I told her, I said, we won't kick her out yet. So anyways, uh, just let y'all know, brother Tim, you ready?
1: When, when, when everyone was coming forward this morning, I looked at Rob and I said, "Are we members? Should we come forward?" I still don't know if we joined the church. i, I, I kind of lost track. Uh, you could get the Second Kings chapter five, and uh, I think I was set up. I don't know how I can possibly follow after those kids. I mean, that was that was a blessing. That was good. And brother, it doesn't surprise me that your son. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me one bit. <laughs> That was good. It's exciting seeing them do that at such a young age. We're going to start out and we're gonna read verses one through four. Get all wired up here. All right, Second Kings chapter five, verses one through four, it says Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies, and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him, his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel. Father God, Lord, I just uh, I thank you for those little ones that came up here and saying, What a blessing, Lord. It was uh, just exciting to see them. And see their excitement and their exuberance and just having a good time for you, Lord. And I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, for your message now, and, and I just pray you just get me out of the way. Please don't let me say anything that would be harmful or stumbling block, Lord, and I just pray that it'll help somebody here tonight. I love you, and I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it got me thinking, you know, we live in a, in a society today that, uh, um, you know, it's difficult to want to serve others. I mean, everything... Uh, we see everything that that we hear. Everything's always driven towards you know us. It, 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 everyone tells us we have to take care of us first. We have to to uh, just look inward. Don't worry about anybody else around us. Let everybody deal with themselves. And that's not that's not at all what we're called to do. You know, Jesus Christ called us to be servants. We're supposed to put others' needs ahead of our own. We're supposed to help others. So I started reading through this verse, uh, this this passage here. And originally I was going to go a little different route with it, and I was going to focus mostly on Naaman. But then, you know, it's funny. that A lot of the times when you read passages like this, God speaks the loudest through the, the, the smallest instances. And we're just going to hit on a few passages here. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting how he has just a couple, couple verses about this little maid, and we'll read a couple verses about some other servants here in a little bit. But when you really start looking at what those verses and what they entail, you see some things, sometimes that you would just you know, glance over or maybe wouldn't, uh, put wouldn't pay much attention to. So I just want to take a look um, at the makings of a servant. Uh, that's what I titled this message, if you want to write that down or whatever, or um, put it on the internet. It says, the makings of a servant. And we're going to look at a couple components there that, that make up a servant. And we're going to start with the heart. And what I want to look at here in verse 4, or verse 3, rather, um, well, we got this mistress here, this little maid, and and I find it interesting a lot of times that some of the people in the Bible that, that God uses they have no names. You know, you got you got the little maid here, and and uh, you got the lad with a lunch, and you know you got I mean that's not what he but that's what he's re- commonly referred to, and a lot of times you just hear these these little names or these these people these descriptive terms used, and uh, they don't necessarily give them names. And I'm thinking, well, a lot of times the people that do have names, sometimes that can be a bad thing because, you know, they just keep getting called out time after time. And I'm thinking if God still was writing the Bible today and if he was going to put me in it, I'd just as soon get maybe one or two verses and just be called fat guy with glasses and be just done with it, okay? Just, <laughs> just, just refer to him as the fat guy with glasses and then walk away, and that way maybe I won't do nothing, you know, noteworthy or get my name that would, that would uh, be something negative. But this little maid here, uh, she, a couple things about her heart. It said, she said unto her mistress, in verse 3, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. First thing we see with her heart here, that it was, it was lacking something. It was void of malice. She had, I mean, by today's standards, by the worldly standards, she had every reason to be angry. She was taken from her family. She was taken from her home. She she was taken from everything that she knew, and all those around her, and everything that was comfortable to her, and everything that she was accustomed to, and everything that she had known her her short life. It was taken from her. She was gone. She was she was uprooted, and she was transplanted somewhere else. But she wasn't holding on to the anger, and because of that, she was able to submit. And see, that's where we have a hard time today. That's where a lot of people have a hard time is is submitting. They don't want to submit. She didn't let the situation or the world dictate the condition of her heart. See, that's where we struggle. We we let things get in the way. We let circumstances, we let problems sometimes dictate how we're going to act towards God or how we're going to act towards others or how we're going to interact with people. And she didn't allow that. She she accepted her, her lot in life, where she was, and she made the best of it. She had a better idea of how to be a servant than most of us do today. If you, I mean, if you're going to be honest with yourself, if you look at the position she was in, and God has used a lot of people like that, Joseph, uh, Daniel, uh, Paul, and there's, there's more that I'm missing, but those three are, are the, probably some of the most well-known, the ones we hear about the most, and they didn't let their situations dictate their relationship with God. They didn't let their surroundings interfere with their walk with, with God. Amen. So she submitted to the situation. She submitted to her captors. But more importantly, she submitted to God. And if she hadn't submitted first unto him, then she wouldn't have been able to do the rest. She didn't allow her joy to be stolen. See, a lot of times we say, well, we have no joy. That's because you allow something to take it away from you. It's yours. It's yours to keep. But you allow bad things in life or what you deem as bad, and you allow situations to take that joy from you. And you give it up because of whatever may have occurred. She didn't allow that. Um, Paul and Silas, they were, they were in Philippi. They didn't get arrested for spreading the gospel, although that's what the charges were. But what they really got arrested for is because they, they, uh, Paul commanded a, a, a devil out of a devil-possessed woman. And, and, the, and her... Uh, her owners or whatever, however you want to refer to them, they were upset because now they just lost the source of income because, you know, she was, she was their little fortune teller woman with the, the tarot cards and the glass ball and all that, Well, now that's gone. Now she no longer had that demonic possession, that demonic ability to, to provide their income. That's what they got arrested for. So they were arrested. They were falsely tried and accused. They were beaten. They were thrown into the, the most secure inner parts of the, the prison. And then they just cried and made a stink all night. And no, the Bible says at midnight they they prayed and they sang songs and they sang praises and they sang hymns and they they lifted up God. And this says then an earthquake earthquake came and it rattled the prison and it, it loosened their bonds. You know they didn't sing because of their freedom. I believe God granted them their freedom because they sang, because they took that situation. And they submitted and said, Well, God, hey, this is where you have, you're in control. This is where you want us. We're going to sing praises unto you. We're going to give you the glory and the honor. And he freed them. And you look through, you read through that story. And and then the Philippian jailer, he was about ready to end his life. And they said, Hold on, we we haven't gone anywhere. We're still here. No reason to end your life. He said, What shall I do to be, you know, what must I do to be saved? And by the end of that story, You go from a beating to a baptism by the time the whole thing was said and done. Why? Because they submitted to God. Because they didn't let the circumstances steal their joy. Because they didn't let the situation that they knew God had allowed them to be in turn them into something that God didn't want them to be. So they had a right heart just like this little maid. She has a heart that was void of malice. She had no problems being there. Uh, Where she was at, she made the best of it. And another thing we notice about her is she must have had some character to her, something about her, because as we're going to find out, they listened to her. Proverbs 20.11, and this is one of our verses back there in in, uh, Sunday school. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. So this little girl... There was something about her her doing, something about her actions, something about her character, the way she lived, the way she worked, the way she was submissive and subservient, something about everything that she did stood out. And when, it, when, the, when push came to shove, they listened to this little girl. Now you can say, well, maybe it was just out of desperation. They figured, well, you know, we're, we're going to do anything to help Naaman. Maybe it was, but... They also took her words seriously enough to follow the advice. She was a servant girl from a foreign land. There was really no reason for them to believe this young girl. But it says there in verse 4, And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid of the land of Israel. And then verse 5, And the king of Syria said, Go too, go. I mean, here's the king of Syria acting on the word of this little Servant girl from a foreign land. And they took the word all the way to the king. He said, well, go. Go, Naaman. He says, I'll get a hold of... The, I'll pick up the phone, I'll call the king over there, and, and we'll, we'll work something out. We'll, we'll, we'll Facebook each other. You two can meet up somewhere. The king took the word of this little servant girl serious enough to act on it and to send Naaman out to try and get healed of his, his uh, leprosy. Another thing we see, while she was void of malice and anger... Her heart was full of compassion. You know what? She could have said nothing. Nobody would have known. Nobody would have been any wiser. But we see, like I said, there was no anger towards Naaman or his wife. There was no anger towards the Syrians for taking her captive. There was no anger towards the Israeli army for not protecting her. And there was no anger against God for allowing this whole thing to happen. Through her compassion a man would eventually experience the mercy and the greatness of God. What I like about this little girl is she had a message and she wasn't afraid to tell it. I mean, you look over there and when she says that, you know, sometimes it's very easy to overlook some of these things. But there's an there's a exclamation point in the middle of her, her sentence there. It says, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. I mean, she's, she's excited. There, there is some emphasis put on this. It's not just, oh, yeah, well, if he was down in Samaria, you could hook up with this Elisha guy, and you know, he'd, he'd probably be okay. No, she, there, there was some, she, she was excited. She said, man, if he was down there in Samaria, I know God could take care of him. See, there, there was no guessing about that comment. There was no, that, that statement, that was full of conviction. She, she was certain that if only... God would allow Naaman to get down to his man down there in Samaria that, that God could take care of him and would take care of him through, through Elisha. She was certain of it. She was fearless. She had a tenacious attitude. She, she had compassion, and she wanted this man to, to, to feel the healing power of the one true living God of Israel. She had the faith, and she had truth of God And like I said, that that statement she made, it wasn't flaky. It wasn't half-hearted. It it wasn't kind of wishy-washy. It was nothing but conviction. And and, and she stood behind the truth when she said that. She she got behind God when she made that comment. And she was certain that God would recover him, heal him of his leprosy, if only he could be down there in the presence of of that prophet. Now, it had nothing to do with Elisha. But she knew that's the way God was going to operate. She said, man, if you could just get down there and hook up with this guy, God will take care of you. And because of her actions, because of the the way she carried herself, because of her speech, it drove them to take that message all the way to the king of Syria and eventually send Naaman on his way. You know, I think about that. Like I said, nobody would have been any wiser if she didn't say a word. You know what? That's a picture of today, that compassion that she shared and that she had for Naaman is the same compassion that we should be full of today in dealing with the lost world. If if this little girl who has been just snatched from her family and taken from everything that she knows, if this little girl can have that kind of courage, then what's holding us back? Why don't we have the same compassion towards the lost that she did? Why don't we... Go to those that oppress us, supposedly. And why don't we go to those that are uh, uh, over us and that we're we're told to submit to? Why don't we go to to those uh, that that, uh, are foreign to us? Why don't we go to those that don't look like us and act like us and talk like us and let them know about Jesus Christ like she did about God? Why can't we have the compassion that she had? That, that when I was reading through that, I'm thinking, man, what a picture! That that is a that is a current day. That is a picture of a current day saint, and how we should be responding to a lost world. Their status shouldn't matter to us. Their nationality shouldn't matter to us. The only thing that should matter to us is the same thing that mattered to her. She saw a man in need of something, and she knew the solution and how he could go about to obtain it. We have the solution, but yet we don't have the compassion. So having the answer and not passing it along is kind of pointless. It's like having a gas tank. Or a gas can full of gas, but you don't put it in your car. The car is not going to get very far. You may own the gas, but if it's not in the right place, it's not going to help it. Let's look at verse thirteen. So we talked about the heart. It says, and his servants came near and spake unto him, and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do something great, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? So we skipped a few verses there, but I think you're all mostly familiar with the story. Um, Naaman went down, and and Elisha didn't even come out to see him. He just sent a servant boy out and said, Hey, go out there and tell him, you know, go jump in the Jordan River seven times, wash, you'll be all right. Well, Naaman got upset first of all. He didn't get the, the greeting that he expected and that he thought he deserved. And then he got upset because he was told to go wash in the Jordan River. The nasty, dirty Jordan River where his friends and family and his contemporaries within the military and his, his leaders and his commanders and all those subservient to him, they weren't there. They weren't at the banks of the Jordan. They were back in Syria. And here, this crazy guy sends his servant out and says, yeah, just go ahead and go wash in the Jordan River. You'll be all right. Seven times, you'll be cleansed made no sense to him his ego was hurt his pride was hurt what gets me about this here we are talked about the 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 maid little maid nameless little maid nameless lad with a lunch now we got nameless servants they had more sense than he did see they had the right attitude they had an attitude Maybe not necessarily. I don't know what their attitude was toward God, but their attitude certainly was not of this world. They were not looking for some worldly remedy. They said, look, if this man of God told you to do that, they had the right attitude and said, well, why not try it? He's a man of God. It's worth a shot, right? Go ahead. See what what happens. What have you got to lose, really? See, Naaman, he was only interested in spectacle. He wasn't really interested in God getting the glory of the praise. Naaman was interested in being the center of attention. See, these servants had something, they understood something that Naaman didn't. They understood that great things were done by God through man, not by man. See, if Naaman was going to be healed, it was because God was going to be the one that did it. And he was going to use whatever means he deemed necessary. But see, Naaman, he wanted the attention put on himself. He wanted to be the reason that people were shouting and and giving praise and giving honor because he wanted to be at the the forefront of that. He was was a captain. He was used to all the the grandeur. He was used to the the spectacle and the fanfare. He was used to the grandstanding. He was used to being at the forefront and getting all the attention. But see, his servants... They were used to just the simple things. They were used to being underappreciated. They were used to being unnoticed and unrecognized. They were used to be just being told, go this, go here, go do that. And they went and they did it. See, they, to them, being at the forefront was, was, was probably uh, uh, very uncomfortable for them, very awkward for them. That's not what they were used to. They were just told to do something and then when they followed the instructions, it worked as they were told. And they said, well, this man of God told you to go wash in the Jordan River. Why is that such a difficult thing? See, they understood the simple things. Naaman thought his victories were his. But you read over there in verse 1. If I can turn my page. Verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. See, everything that he had achieved, the Lord had allowed that thing. But he didn't, he didn't understand it. He didn't acknowledge that. That, had not, that, that. that information had not penetrated his heart. He was too focused on himself in order to look beyond himself. Another thing about these servants, they not only had the right attitude, but they had obviously a good reputation with Naaman, I would say. Like I said, you might say, well, you're just reading into it. There's not much said about these servants. There's really not. But let me ask you something. They were pretty bold in their speech to him. And he didn't have them hung. He didn't didn't reprimand them. He followed their advice. They were either very bold were very stupid to approach Naaman the way they did. I mean, if you, if you look at it, and his servants came near. Now, they got near. They didn't, they didn't call him out from across the field. They came near to him, and they spake unto him. And, said, and they, they, they did it uh, with... with um, what's the word I'm looking for here? They, they were respectful. They said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do something, wouldest thou not have done it? I mean, they, they weren't disrespectful to them. But surely you would think that most servants, foremost, that would be out of line to a man of of his stature. So they were able to approach him, and he allowed them to speak freely to him. They were able to present a point of view that he had not considered. See, because of their status in life and because where they were at, they could see things from a totally different point of view than he could. See, he was elevated, and they had been lowered. And now all of a sudden, the simple things of God made a lot more sense To them than it did to him. They were able to separate his ego from the rest of the situation. Like I said, I think I I personally think if they didn't have a good rapport, if they didn't have a good attitude, if they didn't have a good reputation, then his reaction to them would have been a little different. But then verse 14 says. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He didn't argue with them. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't threaten them. He probably scratched his head. and probably looked around a little bit and said, All right. you know. And he, he went down and did as he was told. See, they, they, their proper attitude as servants gave them allowances, gave them some leeway that they might otherwise not have had. That came through submission. That came through obedience. That came from them listening to him and, 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 and bidding, doing his bidding. Hey, you, go get my sandals. Hey, you, go get my sword. Hey, you, my armor's dented. See if you can work on that. Hey, you, I need some water. And they would go and they would do as they were told. They were submissive. They were obedient. They had the right and proper attitude. So when there came an opportunity for them to help him, he would listen to them. Because he knew that they had his best intentions at heart. They knew that he, they actually cared for this guy. Servants. Why would servants care for him? But he trusted them enough. I think he did. They realized, they, they knew their status in life. They knew their position in life. They knew that their job was to serve Naaman. They weren't his equal, and they didn't try to be. They were his subordinates. See, today, you can talk about sin, and people almost, you know, they, they, you know, they, 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 they uh, revel in it. People are proud of their sin. They're proud when, I mean, you've heard it. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens on a med cruise stays on a med cruise. They're proud of that, that debauchery, that filthiness, that wickedness. That makes them happy. That gives them a status among their friends. But when you tell them that they should submit and be submissive to somebody and obey, well, now all of a sudden you've you just said some dirty words to them. They don't want to hear that. The three-letter S word is a badge of honor. But the word submit is a dirty word to them. Because now all of a sudden, it would require them to realize that maybe they're just not at the top of the food chain like they think they ought to be or like they are. Maybe it would cause them to realize that that there is someone that they're going to have to answer to. And sooner or later, everyone's going to stand in judgment before Jesus Christ. Whether you stand at the great white throne or whether you stand at the judgment seat, You are going to be judged. Your actions are going to be judged. What you did with him in this life is going to be judged. There is going to be a judgment, one way or the other. And people don't want to realize that. Christians don't want to realize that. That's why they act as they do, because they don't want to recognize the judgment seat of Christ. They don't want to stop and think for just a moment, someday I'm going to have to give account for this which I just did, for that which I just said. For these thoughts that I just allowed to control me and manipulate, and I didn't stop them and nip them in the bud when I should have, and I let them go too far. They don't want to stop and think, I'm going to have to give account for that. It's easier to ignore it and pretend like that truth does not exist, skip over that part of their Bible, and live their lives. They don't want to submit. People don't want to submit to Jesus Christ. People don't want to submit to pastors. People don't want to submit to the government. People don't want to submit to their bosses. Children don't want to submit to their parents. It's just full of rebellion. Talk about America. We are a great nation. I will never say anything other than that And so we completely un- uh, wholeheartedly turn against God. But you have to realize... God allowed us to become a nation, but this was a nation born out of rebellion. You do realize that, right? It is a nation born out of rebellion, and although we could say what was for religious freedom, it had more to do with money and taxes than it had to do with religious freedom. Read your history books, you don't believe me. Bottom line is, this is a nation born out of rebellion, and people hold us up as that's what we're saying. No, we are rebellious. Mankind is rebellious. Americans, above all. Are very arrogant and rebellious we have a chip on our shoulder and we think that we are or do something and god says don't you realize i have blessed you because you blessed my people but as soon as you take your hand from them and as soon as you turn against them i will remove my blessing from you and he's doing it just as we are turning against the nation of israel he is removing his hand from us and if you don't believe me just look around it's happening I believe there should be a hierarchy. There there has to be, within the government, within the military. You say, well, I don't like the generals, I don't like the colonels, I don't like the cap. Well, then become one and change things. But see, they worked their way up through the ranks. They did what they needed to do to get to where they are. If you don't agree with them, then get one rank higher and tell them otherwise. (laughs) There has to be a hierarchy within the workplace. I don't tell my boss what to do. He tells me what to do. That's the way that that, that situation works. That's, That's the arrangement me and him have. And it works good, because every day I go in and my badge still works and they let me go to work. I appreciate that. There has to be a hierarchy within the local church. God ordained him. For all of you that joined this morning which you may or may not realize when you joined, you, you agreed, maybe not verbally, but you agreed to submit to his authority. He is the pastor. God put him in control. David realized that. David had been anointed the king of, of Israel. He had opportunities to take Saul out. He wouldn't do it. He even repented and felt bad because he snipped a little bit of his garment off. He said, I am not going to lift a finger. He said, God, you want me to be king. That's great. Then you take him off the throne. I'm not going to be the one to do it. He said, I am not going to lift a finger against your anointed one. I don't care that he tried to pin me to the wall as a decoration with a javelin multiple times. I don't care that he has me running in fear and I feel more comfortable among my enemies than I do within my homeland. He said, you want him off the throne, you do it. I'm not going to lift my hand against him. But it's not that way in a local church anymore. That's why the churches are falling apart. Because you've got people trying to raise up and be something that they were never told to be. Be in a position that God did not intend for them to be in. And that's why you have strife. That's why you have problems within the church. Because people will not submit. They will not accept the fact, their their, their status within the church, or, or, or position, rather, not status. It's not man that put us here. It's God that allows us to be here. It's God that allows me to be a Sunday school teacher. And as soon as he's done with me, he's going to yank me out of that position. Somebody will come in and fill my spot. But for now, he has allowed it. He's allowed me to be up here. If you don't like it, take it up with him. But for right now, he's allowed this thing. It's God. We have to learn to submit to him. He doesn't answer to a a, a governing body other than Jesus Christ. There is there is no uh, uh, convention that he reports to. He may go to Doctor Peacock for uh, advice and as a sounding board as a contemporary and someone just to bounce some stuff off, maybe to vent a little too. But he does not report to Doctor Rockman, Doctor Peacock, uh, uh, brothers down there in, in Pensacola. Um, thank you, Brother Donovan. He does not report to them. They are his friends. Dr. Ruckman was his teacher, but that's it. He reports to Jesus Christ. We're account, see, God put him in control of us because he knows we're a bunch of nitwits and can't handle it. So he's, I feel bad for you. I wouldn't want your job. But see, when we looked at, at, at the, the little maid there, We saw that picture and the compassion she had. I look at Naaman and I look at these servants and I see a lost world missing the simplicity of the gospel just as Naaman missed the simplicity of being healed. I think what's important here to recognize is that I think most of us know that that leprosy is a type of sin within the Bible. Of course, the leper would be a type of sinner. He tells him, all you need to do is get washed. See, we tell a lost world, all you need to do is get washed in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed freely at Calvary. See, that's that's the simplicity of it. But there are too many out there, like Naaman, that want to complicate the matter, that make it more difficult than it really needs to be. They have a hard time... Just grasping, comprehending, just being washed in the blood is enough to keep you from going to hell. See, they, they would rather put more trust and more faith in a, a religion, or a pope, or a false prophet, or a false god, or their works, even, rather than the shed blood at Calvary. been years, but I had a conversation with a guy, and I, I just don't... I don't understand. To me, it takes more faith to believe that two rocks can collide in space and create life, whether it's what we call intelligent or otherwise. I don't understand. It it takes a lot more faith to believe in evolution than it does creation. But let's just suppose for a minute, let's just hypothetically speaking, let's say that evolution is real. Where'd the rocks come from? They didn't create themselves. They, they created from other rocks that smacked into each other. Well, then Where'd those rocks come from? See, I can easily believe that God is the beginning and always has been and always will be. Because that makes sense. Because he's God. Because he, he's, he's real. But rocks, rocks don't create themselves. Now, me and Robin have been laughing because Our neighbor down at the end, well, he lives down at the end of the street. He put a rock in his yard. That rock didn't create itself. It appeared suddenly. And if you're ever on my street, be careful in the winter, because if you slide into this rock, it's going to take out the front end of your car. But it didn't create itself. It didn't grow from a pebble. It didn't grow from a little rock. It doesn't have rock parents. It's just, it was placed there. But see, God created us. And, and the, whole, the whole book of Genesis outlines that thing. But see, that's, that's just, people don't want to believe that. I don't know if it's too simple or, or whatever the thing may be. They just don't want to believe it. But they can say, well, we're just born from a Big Bang, and, and, and we're, we come from single-cell amoebas. Now, if you go to the west side, there may be some proof of that. But <laughs> that's very limited. I um, I digress. So now we've looked at the heart, and we've looked at the attitude. Now let's look at this third component. Let's look at the motive. Let's look at verses 20 through 27. So now, and this is what I was referring to earlier. We had a nameless little maid, and we had some nameless servants, and now we're going to talk about Gehazi. See, his name was called out. That's not good sometimes. It's really, I mean, not in every case. And then especially when it starts out with, but Gehazi. I mean, that that just shows you right there, all of a sudden things are switching gears. Because when you read about that, what what leads up to the the, the but there, you come to find out that, that Naaman had done as he was told. He got over his arrogance. He got over his ego. He listened to his lowly servants. He went down and he did as he was told. He washed in the Jordan and he was cleansed of his leprosy. He went back and he acknowledged that, that indeed the God of Israel is the only true and living God. And he, he acknowledged all that. He tried to, he tried to buy uh, the blessings and tried to give some payment to Elisha. And Elisha you know, told him, look, look, you can't buy God's favor. You can't buy God's blessings. You cannot put a price tag on anything that God has to offer. So don't even try. Just take it as a free gift uh, like it was intended and be grateful and give thanks to him. Just send him on his way. I like Elisha. He didn't really play around. He just, he just walked. He said, oh, you're gone. Leave. I'm done with you. And you got all of that. He tells him, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. And then verse 20. But Gehazi... The servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian, and not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him, and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him, and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now... There become to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him, and bound two talents of silver in the bags, in two bags, uh, with two changes of garments, and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand, and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee? When the man turned again from the chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money, to receive garments, and olive yards, and vineyards, and sheep, and oxen, and servants, and maidservants? The leprosy therefore, therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee, and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper, as white as snow. Now there's a whole message in there. I mean, there's probably a few messages in there. But we're just going to look at a couple of things. I want to talk about his motive, but also I want to look at his heart, because we've already looked at the heart of the maiden. We saw where her heart was at. Now let's look at Gehazi's heart. See, he was only looking out for himself. You notice there, when, when Naaman, we skipped over it, but... If you get an opportunity, read through it again. When Naaman was talking to Elisha, at no point did Gehazi uh, uh, get excited. No point did he rejoice over the healing of Naaman, this leper. He wasn't excited over this. There's there's nothing there that indicates that that he rejoiced over that. He didn't rejoice that God had been exalted, as Naaman did there in uh, uh, around verse 15 or so, 16. He didn't rejoice over that. He didn't rejoice that Naaman had acknowledged God, of, the God of Israel as the one and true living God. See, none of that resonated with him. That didn't mean anything to him. Because his heart wasn't right. See, his heart was focused now on, what can I get? See, he had been with Elisha for a little while up to this point. And he was starting to get to the point where he started thinking, okay, when am I going to start getting some payback? You know, I've, start, I've, I've been with this guy and I've been running his errands and I've been doing what he's told me to do and I've done his bidding. When do I start seeing some of the, the fruits of all this labor that I clearly am the one putting? I mean, he just commands me and I clearly am the one doing all the work. So when do I get to get something out of this situation? See, that's where a lot of us get. We think we start doing a little something for God and God uses us and then we start thinking, well, It's about time I started getting some payback. It's about time I started getting something that I want. Because God, I've done your bidding and and I don't think you've paid me nearly as much as I'm worth. God, I think I'm I'm, I'm more useful to you than you think I am. I think you owe me something, God. Give me me some retro pay here. See, that's where he was at. His heart was wrong. And if we're not careful, our hearts can get wrong too. See, if we start losing our focus on Jesus Christ, if we start getting caught up in the programs, if we start getting caught up in the numbers, if we start getting caught up in all these other things, rather than just staying where Jesus Christ wants us and focusing on what's at hand, what's right in front of us, see, our heart's going to turn wrong. And we're going to start getting more focused on us. Because as soon as we get on the wrong thing, then it's going to divert us to our own problems, and and to to what we think we should be getting out of the situation. So then let's look at his attitude. Not only was his heart wrong, but his attitude was wrong. See, he was serving for the wrong reasons. See, time after time, and I'm going to steal a phrase from Dr. Peacock, Elisha told him, you know, he, he was his hey boy. Hey boy, go here. Hey boy, go over there. Hey boy, say this. Hey boy, say that. Hey, boy, go lay that stick on it again. Hey, boy, what's this this woman want? Hey, boy, hey, boy, hey, boy, hey. Time after time for these years now that he had spent with him. See, his attitude was wrong. He started thinking the wrong way. His heart was in the wrong place. His thoughts were in the wrong place. His expectations, perhaps, because he knew Elisha, more than likely he knew Elisha had, had served Elijah. And then when Elijah went off the scene, God moved Elisha up into a spot. And perhaps he was thinking that he was the next one to fill those shoes. Maybe he thought he was the heir apparent to that that position of prophet of Israel. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say that. You're right, it doesn't. And maybe I'm taking a little liberties that I shouldn't be. But you look at his actions. You look at the way he did some things here, and you can't help but wonder. Maybe he was thinking that he was a little bigger and a little more important than he really was. And that's exactly what happens in the church today. See, we get a little bit of a victory here and there. We get a little something goes right. And we get a a little note. Somebody just saying, hey, I appreciate you. And we, we take that to the next level. Next thing you know, in our minds, we're a lot bigger and we're a lot more important than we really are. And we start inflating ourselves. And we start putting ourselves not only like Isaiah 14, Satan did but we start lifting ourselves up above the others around us. See, we're here to help each other. You're not here to support me while I step on your heads as I rise through the ranks of the local church. That's not the way it works. See, we're supposed to help each other. And as God puts us in different positions, different ministries, we're supposed to help and edify each other and strengthen each other and be there for each other because we're all part of the same body. Now, Joe was talking about the pinky toe a few weeks ago. Nobody ever pays attention to the pinky toe until the pinky toe's hurt. Then all of a sudden, it becomes the most in, single most important part of your body. And that can be said for most part. Can you really think of any part of your body that you would say, yeah, if that was hewn off with a sharp razor, it wouldn't matter? No. There's no part of your body that you want to willingly give up. Because it's all important. It's all part of your body. And that's where we are in Jesus Christ. He looks at us and he says, in my mind, you're all important. Because you're doing what I want you to do. And and you're in the ministry that I put you in. And you're at the place where I told you to be. And you're, you're showing up on Wednesdays. And you're showing up on Sundays. For Sunday school and morning service, and you're coming back again, he said, "Why can't you just be happy doing what I want you to do? That should be more than enough for you." But see, that's not what we start thinking in worldly ways. Like we need to, we need to be more. We need to do more. We need to, we need to be at the forefront. See, Gehazi, he, his expectations weren't God's expectations. He wanted something physical rather than spiritual. He was more interested in getting a couple bucks and a couple new changes of clothing. I mean, think about it. He's probably thinking, well, you know, I am the the sounding board for the the prophet of Israel here. I I probably should look good. Yeah, I should have a couple bucks in my pocket when I stroll into town. I don't have to get the Big K root beer. I can get the the A&W root beer. Yeah. See, he's thinking that he should have all these worldly possessions. He should have all this money. He should have this clothing. Because he should look good because of who he thinks he is. And because his heart was wrong, because his attitude was wrong, his motive was wrong. See, if you have those two components out of place, it'll lead to the wrong motive. He was there when Elisha said, there's no, no payment necessary. He said, you, you, you cannot buy God's blessings. I don't want your money. Keep your animals, keep your money, Keep your cl- I don't want none of it. He was present for that. But then he not only lied and deceived, and this may be worse than anything, he hid behind the ministry to do it. See, if you want to go out there and you want to sin, you want to be deceptive and you want to do all the things, well, that's your choice, but Be man enough to do it out in the open. Don't hide behind the pulpit. Don't hide behind the ministry. Don't hide behind the Bible. Don't hide behind the scriptures. If you're going to sin, don't justify it some way. Just do it and then own up to it. If you get caught, man up. You were man enough to do it, or woman enough to do it. So be man enough to take the punishment and own up to your actions. He wouldn't do that. Get down here. And he said in verse 22, my master has sent me. Behold, even now they're coming to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray, the talent of silver. See, he was saying, look, I, Elisha doesn't want your, because he knew that, you know, Elisha made himself clear. See, no, Elisha doesn't want what you have to offer. And I mean, I'm, I'm just a humble servant. No, that's not for me. But I do happen to know a couple guys. See, he's hiding behind the ministry in order to do what he wants to do. He had no care or thought about how that would affect Naaman's perception now of God. He didn't care about that. He didn't care about the ministry. He didn't care about, about Elisha or his reputation or what he had done all these years, how he tried to keep himself uh, uh, honorable and upright before God. He didn't care about none of that. All he wanted was what he wanted, and he wanted it right now. And, and the cost of getting it, meant nothing to him. He had witnessed God provide a son to a couple that was beyond childbearing years, well, considered to be beyond childbearing years. He witnessed God bring that same young boy back to life through Elisha. But in spite of all that, Gehazi deemed that he had a a fair share coming to him, and he wanted it, and he wanted it now. Where does he say? Um, he says, But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. I mean, basically, he, he said, well, By God, I'm going to go after him. I'm going to get what's mine. That, that's essentially what, in, in the Tim version, that's what he said. As the Lord liveth, I will run. Up. So, as surely as God is alive, I am going to go and I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to get something from this guy because it's what I want. I don't care what God wants. I don't care what Elisha wants. I don't even care what it could do to the ministry. God is my witness. I'm going to do my will and I'm going to do it right now and that's all that matters to me. That's what he said there. And that's what we've all said at some point in our lives. Because there's something that we want and even though every door along the way is closed, we kick them all in and we say, as surely as God lives, I'm going to do what I want to do because I deserve it. See, there's a danger in that, folks. There really is. Because all of a sudden you, you lose sight of what God would have you to do. And see, when you, if you can't follow God and do it his way, Naaman didn't get healed by doing it any other way. He got healed by following God's directions. There isn't one person that has died in this current age that has gotten to heaven other than through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I promise you that. Not one. Not one. It's only because of his shed blood that anybody in this dispensation is able to get to heaven. You're not going to do it on your own. And it's not your way. It's God's way or no way. See, what resides on the inside controls what is done on the outside. Sister said it this morning. shall be known by your fruits. Apples don't come from a poison ivy vine or a plant. Okay? Peaches don't come from a, chick- a sycamore tree. Okay? You don't get cashews from a walnut tree. Okay? That tree produces the fruit after its own kind. And eventually, you can, you can say all the pretty words you want. You can, you, can, you can be the most spiritual-sounding individual, but eventually, your actions will betray your speech. And it'll come out in the wash. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. Because if it's not in here, and if it's only in here, that doesn't mean anything. If God can't get a hold of your heart and take root in your heart, because... Out of the abundance of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart. What is it? Thank you. That's why I write this stuff down because I am lousy at quoting it. But see, what comes from our heart comes out of our mouth. And if the right things aren't in there, eventually the the wrong things will start coming out. Your motive for God should not be about you. See, what we don't seem to get sometimes is serving God is a privilege. It's not a punishment. You know, a lot of times, yeah, it seems like, especially when, when July rolls around each year and I get a nervous tick even thinking about it. You know, you got camp coming up, and it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of labor, and it's not vacation, but it is a privilege. not a punishment to be up there. When you guys help out at VBS, that's not a punishment, folks. It's really not. It's, it's a privilege that God would even allow us to, to do something. Do you realize how precious those kids are? And then for him to allow us to have some time with him, that means he's saying, look, I would rather them be with you than out there in this world, because you have the right thing to give them. But see, we look at it, we get caught up, and we get so busy doing other stuff that we don't accept it for the, the privilege that it really is, and we lose sight of that. And then we, we, we just start getting the molly grubs and thinking, well, yeah, I'm just going to go through the motions here, and... Just get this done. But see, that's not the way God would want us to do it. He wants us to serve him willingly. And if you're serving God because you want recognition or you want notoriety or a position or authority within the church, well then your motive, like Gehazi's, was wrong. When we have the, the singers come up here, I mean the little kids, I mean, that was that was great. And you know, their hearts were, were pure and honest. I mean, there was nothing they were just having fun. And they were, man, I wish we could all be like that. You know, I mean, Alex came up, I mean, he had his navigation light gloves on. I mean, he even had them on the right hand, green on the right, red on the left. That's perfect. If he was an airplane, I could tell exactly which way he was going. And he doesn't care. He was having a good time. See, we 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 can't do that. We're too sophisticated. We can't just let loose and just be like little children and have fun with it. But you know, when these, when these guys and these gals get up here, you can tell that they're singing for God. Okay, you don't, you don't see Brother Jerry up here on the bass with his little zoot suit on, dark shades. Boom, <laughs> boom, 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 You don't see him doing that. Okay, you don't see Adam with the sleeves rolled up, playing the guitar beep, behind his head kicking over the amp, smashing the guitar. There's none of that. You don't see the ladies up here with clothes so tight it looks like saran wrap. Okay, they're not swallowing the microphones. Half the time I think they need to move up on the mic because you can't hear them. See, they're not putting on a show. And when it's all done, they don't bow, they don't hold their hands, they don't do a kick line. They put their stuff away and they exit stage left and stage right and the pastor comes up. See, it's not about them. And they don't ever try to make it about them. They make it about God. Amen. See, that's the way we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to serve Him. Putting Him in the forefront. Within this church, there are people all over the place that do things that people don't even know about. You just come in and this has been done, that's been done, this is in place. You don't know who did it. You just know that it's there when you need it. You know, should the church should be full of ninjas in that regard? Just come in, do what needs to be done, get out. You know, don't get caught. Just do what you got to do. I've known people in the past that when a when a new uh, member joins a church or when a visitor comes in, man, they just glom onto them, they just leech onto them, and they take them on a look what I've done tour throughout the church, and they just go and show them all their miraculous works and everything that they've done. You say Shirley, you don't? Say, yes, I have seen it, and don't call me Shirley. I have seen that happen. I've seen people do that because they want to make sure everybody knows all that they have done, but what they forget is anything that they've done, God gave them the talent to do it, and maybe they should be a little more respectful of that rather than trying to fill out a spiritual resume for themselves. You say, "Well, what does Jesus say?" I'm glad you ask. Let's go to Matthew chapter six, and we'll, we'll reel this thing in. You always ask the right questions at the right time. I appreciate that. Chapter six, verses one through four. It says, and "This is the words." My Bible doesn't have red, but uh, many of yours, I'm sure, do, and they should be in red. Uh, take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound the trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that ye may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. If you're looking for praise or recognition of men, then that's all you're going to get. Enjoy it because it's fleeting and it's not going to last long. And that and $1.49 will get you a cup of coffee at Speedway because it really doesn't mean much. You're better to be humble and live a life of humility And then let God dish out the rewards as he sees fit. Whether it's in this life or eternity. Sometimes both. Leave the reward system up to him. Don't worry about trying to build your own rewards. So, as we wind this thing up, let me just ask you a few questions. Like this little maid, what's in your heart? What makes you rejoice? Do you rejoice when when things aren't going? Maybe as good as you'd like them to go? Or maybe you're not in the situation you'd like to find yourself in. When the world's maybe kicked you around a couple times, left you for dead. Where's your heart at? Do you rejoice? How's your attitude? Have you had an attitude check lately? You need a tune-up? Need a little attitude adjustment? How's it going? What's your motive? When you do something, who gets the glory for that thing? Does God get it? Or do you get it? You know, where's the focus? Do you have that compassion towards others like the maid did and even the servants? They were compassionate towards towards Naaman. Are you more concerned with looking out for number one? Is, Is achieving your own will more important than maybe sacrificing something, putting something on the altar so God can get his will, his glory? If you were on trial today based only on your actions, what would the verdict be? How would you be judged? Somebody that's compassionate? Somebody that has a heart towards God? Or would you be con- considered somebody that's that's uh, a miser and somebody that only cares about themselves and somebody that really does not care about those around them? What would that verdict be? What would that judgment look like? We've seen how the servants, they had a pretty good reputation with Naaman, I believe. We've seen how that little maid had a good reputation. We see how... We've read before how Joseph found favor. God allowed Joseph to find favor down there in Egypt uh, in a couple different places with the Pharaoh and down there uh, in prison. We've read how God allowed uh, Daniel to find favor with several kings throughout that time. We've learned how Paul found uh, favor with the jailer on the ship. They had good attitudes, they had good motives. They had good hearts. They had a good reputation. How is yours? Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I just pray, Lord, uh, as we close here and go our own way, Lord, you just uh, allow us to meditate on these words. I love you and I pray and I ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.